solar winds and protecting the supply chain, can it ever be safe? And are hackers the new educators? These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Anna Delaney, and a very happy Christmas to those of you who celebrate. Our first feature this week continues on the theme of supply chain security in the aftermath of the SolarWinds hacking campaign. You might have listened to the CSO of Cyber Reason, Sam Curry, offer insight on managing supply chain vulnerabilities on last week's security report. This week, we take a different angle, where Nick Holland, ISMG's Director of Banking and Payments, speaks with David Forsey, Managing Director of the Aspen Cybersecurity Group of the Aspen Institute, for his thoughts on what the SolarWinds incident highlights about supply chain management and public policy. I think what SolarWinds really illustrates is how supply chain security is two different things from the perspective of public policy, right? So the first thing is what we've been talking about for the past four years, which is the Huawei 5G thing, which is a very narrow part of it, right? National level policy to ensure that critical industries are not dependent on components of technology that they can't trust, either because they're poorly made or designed or because they're owned or in controlled by entities that we feel we can't trust for whatever reason. So that's the whole Huawei and 5G conversation. But what SolarWinds shows us is that there's this other piece. Uh, And and, and folks in industry, this isn't new, but which is how organizations manage their own supply chains, including software, not just hardware, and and how we can help shape incentives for suppliers to have more secure systems, right? So what it shows is that attackers don't have to build some elaborate global hardware supply chain to insert a backdoor into a router way before it gets into your company. They can just go after the software companies, many of them actually US-based, that your company already depends on. So that's a much more difficult matter to address when it comes to federal policy, because you can't just say, oh, well, we're going to ban any software companies that are based in Russia uh, from being used in critical infrastructure, because the problem isn't just based on country of origin. It's just endemic to software, right? Right. Um, But where the government can really help, uh, especially proactively, is incentivizing transparency into coding practices, right. building on things like, you know, DOD has a cybersecurity maturity model certification. Um, how can we apply lessons that the defense industrial base has learned right. when it comes to supply chain risk management, right? So I think it's very important to make sure that CISOs and CIOs have an easier time knowing what is actually in the software they're using, right? Yeah. I'd also direct listeners to some great work that Alan Friedman is leading at the uh, NTIA on um, uh, software bill of materials, which is essentially right. an ingredient list for software. So there is stuff we can do yeah. Um, yeah. when it comes to supply chain and software. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Now here's a Christmas cracker. Governments are asking the hacking community for help. Well, at least that was a theme raised at the Black Hat Europe conference held earlier this month, virtually, of course, this year, due to the pandemic. In case you missed it, here's ISMG's executive editor of Data Breach Today and Europe, Matthew Schwartz, who shares some key takeaways from the conference. Governments are increasingly calling on security researchers 
and the academic hacking community to improve the state of cybersecurity by better informing policymakers. And businesses must do more to foster a safety culture in which input from security teams gets translated into ongoing problem solving. But there are risks involved with all of these approaches. Those were just some of the themes to be sounded in the opening keynote presentations at this year's Black Hat Europe. Several years ago, the conference decamped from Amsterdam to London, seeking a bigger city center venue. This year, of course, as the COVID-19 pandemic continues, all such events have gone virtual. Jeff Moss, the founder of Black Hat and DEF CON, set the virtual stage on day one of the briefings by highlighting how, over the past five to ten years, governments have increasingly been looking beyond lobbyists, seeking input from researchers and hackers, the good kind, even if their methods may not always be considered 100% above board. Here's Moss. Policymakers have grown up with technology and computers, and they're asking us our opinion. This is a really dangerous time for us right now. On one hand, because they're finally asking us our opinion. So great opportunity. Great risk, though, is they're asking us our opinion. And if we screw this up, we may not be taken seriously. So it's very important that the community of the InfoSec researcher, the community of the government, we learn from each other and we learn how to work through this tension. Enter the conference's day one keynote speaker, Pete Cooper, Deputy Director for Cyber Defense at the UK Cabinet Office, which advises the Prime Minister. Cooper's talk was nominally titled Hacking Government Cybersecurity, but my take would up the Tom Cruise factor by about 10 along the lines of how can Top Gun save our cybersecurity? Cooper, a former Royal Air Force fighter pilot, and safety officer, shared lessons he's learned from that realm. Here's Cooper. Everything we've got has got some element of risk. Aviation had a really huge uh, accident rates until the sector really started digging into the culture and understanding of what was causing those accidents. And it absolutely transformed safety. Flight safety culture was key in helping drive risk down to as low as reasonably practicable. Cooper was talking about aeronautics, but these principles can be well applied to information security. Whereas Jeff Moss opened Black Hat Europe by talking about how the cybersecurity community could help the government, Cooper's message to organizations is that they would do well to foster a safety culture in which individuals feel comfortable enough to readily report problems, errors, and near misses so the organization can better understand, target, and fix underlying problems. For example, Cooper recently visited a company that had been targeted by ransomware attackers, and he asked the organization how it had gotten on. And when I asked that question to the board and the, the leadership team, the answer was we did really well. Um, we, we dodged a bullet and, uh, and actually we, we, we we're pretty good. But when I asked that same question to the SOC and, and the teams, uh, actually sort of in the, the sort of eyes on screens and defending uh, teams, they turned around and said, yeah, we got away with it by the skin of our teeth. But in a way, we wish we'd been slammed because then the board would listen to us. So inside that organization, they had the right people and they had the right knowledge, but they didn't have that, that almost sense of community and communication um, to be able to actually work together to get through. So they had completely different perspectives of what their challenges were. In short, to make cybersecurity better, we all need to improve on our ability to collaborate. 
And Cooper's message isn't that we should just look externally to build the cybersecurity community, but organizations must also foster it internally. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Matthew Schwartz. And finally, it wouldn't be right if we didn't include a COVID-19 related update from none other than pandemic expert Regina Phelps, who throughout this year has been sharing regular updates on the virus and now the vaccine with our senior vice president of editorial, Tom Field. We are all tired, yes, and most of us would like to enjoy a social festive season. But before throwing caution to the wind, take a listen to what Phelps has to say about potential spreader events over the holidays. You know, Tom, the thing about Thanksgiving break is that we are just beginning to see the impacts in hospitals. So we haven't even got to the bad part of that yet. That'll be another 10 days, probably. 20% of the U.S. population traveled over 50 miles on the day of Thanksgiving. And that was based on cell phone data. So either they flew someplace or they actually got in a car and drove. The studies are ready for Christmas is that the travel, both in you know airlines and hotels, is expected to be only 10% less than last year. Oh my God. So uh, should you go anywhere over the holidays? And the answer is no. I have begged everybody I possibly know, you have to look at this like this is your COVID year. And that means that you need to think about how you can do this safely, which means the only safe way to really do this, frankly, is some sort of Zoom event. If you have to see people, it has to be outside. The studies on ventilation and inside houses demonstrate clearly that if you've got four or six people around a table, even if they are six feet apart, you are breathing the same aerosol. That is completely unsafe. So you could probably throw open the windows, I suppose, but you might as well be outside. You should not really be seeing grandma. You should not be seeing people outside of your household. I cannot emphasize how important that is. I would ask your listeners to think about the fact that we are you know, sometime at the end of next year, going to be able to have a, a holiday season, a Christmas season, we're going to be able to do everything that we didn't do this year. But we have to get there. And that means we have to not get sick. That's it from ISNG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney, wishing you a peaceful and healthy Christmas. Christmas.